Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 and 11 today. So not a convenience store, but anyway. Come on, you've got to be awake. Yeah, I'm trying to be so. Um, you know, my goodness. Uh, between murder hornets and monkeypox and COVID and the horrific thing that happened in Texas, you know, it's easy that if you put the wrong things first on what you listen to, not God's word. It's chicken little, the sky is falling. And there's a lot of things that we do need to be prepared. And some of us remember sometimes we'd be in a big city or something like that, and you'd, or you'd see at a football game or something like that, somebody would be holding a sign up saying the end is near. And the question we have to ask today, we know the end's coming. Maybe in our lifetime, it may not be. Uh, we see that the uh, Word of God tells us, I'm not trying to be a naysayer, but Jesus is clearly saying that these things will increase. doesn't mean we don't stop and try to make things better, but we need to help make things eternally better for people, regardless of what goes on. So it's interesting, the conversations that I have with people, some that know Christ and some that don't, that there's more conversations on what do I do to be prepared, either uh, with food or you know, whatever, or all these things. It seems like most of the conversations are how to physically be prepared, uh, which these are good things. These are wise things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them, but we ignore how to spiritually be prepared and how to spiritually prepare others. We People are asking the question, how can I be prepared? How can I protect? Do I need to hide? Where am I going all these things and we struggle how best to use the time we have left and most of us even if you're like me that personal fable never happened to me and i'm not talking about going around saying oh in the fear of death but we need to have the urgency no matter what age we are is what am i going to do with the time i have left what am i going to spend my time on we can choose what am i going to glorify what am i going to praise what am i going to put up high in honor and we can choose to glorify and put question mark yourself, your family, your job, someone else, or you can choose to glorify God. Your action step today that you can go home and chew on, if you know Christ and if you don't, that's a whole other conversation. But your action step today is glorify Christ with your life. Glorify Christ with your life. Yes, I know that my uh, points last week were supposed to be thin, and they were thin. Thank you, Dan, for always reminding me of that. I'm not here today, but your points today are going to spell out the word life. So probably because there's not five, you might get all of your points today for you people that are like that. So anyway, last week we talked about being prepared and, and making the most of our time. And, and what, do we, what do we do after we're prepared? See, a lot of people, even, you know, those that prepare food and water, none of those things are bad, but if you don't rotate that, eventually that's going to be bad. You need to eat it, drink it, consume it, and then get some more. And so many times as Christians, we're like, I'm prepared. So, and we stop with, I'm saved, I'm secure, I'm good. Then why are we still here? Yeah, we're in scary times. But why are we still here? What do we do? The question we're going to answer today, Peter tells us last week in what we studied to be prepared, and now what do we do till the end of things? 
for the end of our life, for the end of time. And again, we're going to live eternally, one place or another, with God or without God. You do not want to live without God. But we find God calls and commands and empowers us to live godly lives, to stand strong by giving us three essential commandments that we're going to find in this section of Scripture today. So we're in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here today. I pray that those families that have lost loved ones to this shooting. I pray for those that experienced it. I, I, I pray for their comfort. I pray you put people of the gospel in their path to minister your grace and point to that. But I don't even know where to start. But I just ask that you comfort them. Dear Lord, I pray that you help us look in our hearts today and see what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of us already know, but remind us. Help us to see the areas in our life where we need to tighten up, we need to get focused, and we need to go forward. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. First thing we need to do is look and pray. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That little verse is power-packed. So first of all, he's saying the conclusion is here. Time is short. You may say, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years. But guys, the clock, when Christ ascended, the clock is ticking. And it can happen at any time. And those people we know, even Christ, he's fully God, fully man, does not know the time. So if anybody tells you they know the time, you can probably plan a birthday party or a party on that day. Because they don't know the time. And that's why, yes, it's great to study revelations and end times. But you know what? It could happen right now. And it'll all line up. That's why we need to have a sense of urgency. That the clock is ticking. The conclusion is here. Time is short. He says it's his hand. It's approaching. That means rapidly. <laughs> Do I need to switch or something? I'm going to shut this off and hit the handheld, okay? Are we good? If it, if it comes back again, let me know. James 5.8 says this, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So in case if you're wondering when Jesus is coming back, anytime, it's happening. And so we should have an urgency. And so therefore, he says, okay, so the end of things is at hand. Therefore, he's saying Christ is coming back. The clock is tip, ticking. This is why we're seeing the increasing of all this junk that we never see in our lives. Because, spoiler alert, man is sinful without God and we will do bad things. Man is evil. And only through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit and through accountability can we even walk with God. But yet we're so surprised. And I'm not even lying to what happened. We're so surprised when we see these things increasing. Therefore, our duty goes... Christ is coming back rapidly. Therefore, our duty is to be self-controlled. That means to be right-minded. 
That means to be sound-minded. We don't like hearing the word self-control because when we said, if it feels good, do it. And it's amazing how God made our feelings and our emotions. And when we follow him first, you go to Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be out of you. If you follow God first, your emotions, your, your everything will be right at the right time. But we need to be self-controlled and it's a fruit of the spirit. Because that's not popular. We need to be sober-minded. That means we need to watch. We need to be calm. We need to be collected in spirit. Both of those mean we need to be in our right mind. Well, I am. I think so. That man is sinful. We need Christ to save us. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. We need his word to get us to think the things the way Christ thinks. The word and prayer are essentials for the believer. To be right-minded. To get us to the action. Why? He says, for the sake of your prayers. God keeps hitting me on this, that the key tenets of a follower of Christ are in the word and prayer and action. And Satan tries to keep us from prayers, but if you're not living right, you're not walking right, did not say being perfect, but he said in Matthew 6, uh, uh, 6, uh, 6.15, if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's an indicator if you haven't forgiven somebody, you're not living right, and your prayers are hitting the ceiling, and your relationship with God is stalled. You may be saved, but you're not growing. And so what he's saying here is it's not about being perfect, but you need to keep short accounts. You need to be walking by the Holy Spirit. You need to be watching and praying so your prayers can be right with God, so you can talk to God. Your prayers, that access, that spiritual... What happens is it's like, you know, you're going your own way. You're following your own stuff instead of being in the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying God. You're not saved by any of those. Those are fruits that you are saved. And so when you do that, you're becoming in tune with God. You can hear him in the sense of you're in his word and he impresses upon you through the Holy Spirit. And you know his word affirms it. I haven't heard the audible voice of God, but through being in his word and listening to the Holy Spirit, he impresses upon me all the time. But when I'm not in the word and when I'm just doing a show where I, nothing wrong with attending church this is very biblical, but I may do all these things, but yet no right living and action. It's not to the core of my heart. And so my accessibility is blocked my relationship with God. And so it makes sense. We need to get serious. He said previously, the end times are near. It's time to get serious. But so many times, and especially, you know, Baptists, it's like, well, I'm saved by grace. Yeah, we are. I'm as saved as I'm going to be. But we do these works because we've been designed for them before time. And it's, we don't do them to be saved. We do them because we are saved. And we don't use our freedom to sin again. It's building a relationship. I mean, he gets serious about it. For the sake of Peter is calling us to be clear-headed, to stay sober, to stay alert, to every and use every opportunity to pray. This is holiness. This is Holy Spirit living. God doesn't just call us and command us. God empowers us. Fixing our eyes on... It is Christ fixing our eyes on the living right, on Christ. We get serious. We, get, we follow him. We let him control us. This is Holy Spirit living. 
The right living comes, listen to this for a second, when, when, uh, when, we, when we meditate on God's word daily. When we know the thoughts and we have the mind of Christ. How are you going to know what Christ thinks and what his mind is if you're not reading his word? A love, beautiful love letter that we have. We begin to commune with God according to his will and we look to and for the will of God. Your first villain, when we glorify Christ with our life, we look and pray. Focus on Christ. There's so many times if you were hunting or if you were fishing or, or in your home at night, you hear a sound that you get really diligent on watching. He's telling us here, time is short. Wake up. Watch and pray. Look what had happened with the disciples. He told them to do that, and they couldn't even. We need God. It primarily starts with God's people looking, loving the family of God. So he says to watch. We need to watch how we treat each other. We need to watch how we act to each other as the family of God. And if you receive Christ, you're my brother, you're my sister. And look at verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. When he says, above all, this is a priority. I want you to understand, a lot of you are loving the world and the lost more than you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because family is difficult, whether it's physical or spiritual. But John is completely clear where Jesus said, they will know you by your love. It's not going to be perfect here. But if they can't see us loving each other, and dealing with our stuff, why would they want anything we got going on here? And that's why he starts with, we've got to love the family of God. And that love is agape. It's sacrificial. It means dearly. And then, oh man, he uses the word earnestly. Okay? Without ceasing. That means stretching, straining, running. It's talking about the muscles becoming taut and tight. Spoiler alert. Loving each other, the bride, the, the bride of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, is not always easy because churches never have problems. We're going into our convention, and I know Christ will stand, but that's going to be a hot mess. And we need our prayers, and the whole world is waiting with bated breath to get any glimpse of Christianity falling. And you know, the SBC may fall, but Jesus won't. And those that follow God. But that's our witness. And so I'm just using the convention as an example of how we act and how we deal with sin and how we deal with repentance and forgiveness are the most important things. That's right. Man, it's hard to love regular family. It's hard to love God's family. And there's been some churches... I've been in that, yeah, it was good. It was like an Abraham and Lot situation or a Paul and Barnabas where people love God, but they need to part ways. I don't mean we separate, but guys, if if you're not getting along with the brother and sister in Christ, you need to stop there. You need to repent. You need to deal with it. Why would anybody, well, they love each other. I'm not talking about a fake love where everything's okay. But that's, why does he start there? And that's why he uses the word earnestly, that there are going to be times, hey, you're really pushing me. Because my dynamic is I naturally can be kind to a point. 
But the older I get, the more I don't want to mess with people. Pastor, you're horrible. You're supposed to love people. I do in Christ. But I'm talking about the sinfulness of our hearts. And if we're really going to love people, we're going we're to get pushed. We're going to get strained. We're going to get pulled. And we need, there's so many times that Carrie Underwood verse, Jesus take the will. That's not a verse. Okay, come on. But you know what I'm saying. Get in the back seat and trust the Holy Spirit. I have, I've had so many prayers going into situations. God help me. <laughs> help me to love. Help me to keep my mouth shut when I need to get it shut, keep it shut. To speak when I know to speak and to love. Sacrificial love that covers. Now, if we could take this wrong, covers a multitude of sins. I'm going to be really clear. And I use the convention as an example. We're not covering up nothing. Lay it all out there. A verse that has guided me in 32 years of ministry is, is, is John and John, it says, they that do it is right come gladly to the light so everyone can see what they're doing is what God wants them to do. So this verse does not mean you cover up sin. No, you expose it, you deal with it, you confess it, and you go on. <clears throat> what happens after you do that? Trust may be broken and you don't just hand trust back. I don't agree with that either because, I mean, God doesn't tell us to, God tells us to be wise. But there's so many times those that may have been walking with God a little bit longer and God's grown you a little bit more because the whole goal is maturity. And there are seven-year-old Christians that are more mature than 80-year-olds and vice versa because maturity has nothing to do with age. It has to do with obedience continually in front of God. But a lot of times that Christian that God's taught you something, that maturity says, yeah, they're immature, and they may spiritually, or my French, be being a butt. But I'm going to love them. And I'm going to deal with the things that I need to deal with. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about covering up sin. But it's talking about when you dealt with it, loving. Or is this something I need to address or help them mature? 1 Corinthians 12 verses 5 and 7 says this. Talking about love. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I have relationships in my life right now that I have held onto that verse by a thin thread. Because it's been so easy just to walk away and say, I am done with you. But what if Jesus had done that with me? Why am I any more special than anybody else to deserve Jesus hanging on to me? And again, if you take this as anger, I'm not mad at all. This is passion that we are at the end of, of this. And we need to stop playing church and we need to be the church. The people of God. And so we've got to hope these things. We've got to hold out love. Whether God or man, uh, love covers sins, forgiving, protecting from condemnation, those who have been wrong. The word says clearly, therefore, Romans 8, 1, therefore there's now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But again, we don't look over sin. We love and we deal with it. We our love needs to be, our love needs not be half-hearted. It doesn't need to be weak. It doesn't need to be self-serving, but it needs to be focused, concentrated, faithful, and forgiving. Love is a shock absorber, cushioning and soothing out the bumps and irritations, calming others. Love, real love, is hard. 66 years. You could fake that, but I bet you Jesus helped you all the way through that. 
Does that love, honor, obey in sickness and in health? There's no way without Jesus. Some people do it just as a pride thing, you know, in the sense of without Jesus. But marriage is three, the man, the woman, and God. Your next feeling, if we're going to glorify Christ in our life, we must intensely love. Love hard. See, this is the problem. I do it all the time, too. Well, it was easy to love till they got difficult. It was easy to love till you started bothering me. Really? What about me? I've never been difficult with any of you. I've never, never been hard with any of you. Yeah, right. Okay. Or any relationships in our lives. We gotta love hard. We gotta love the people of God first. Hard. Love hard doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't stop with the family of God. Look at verse nine. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality means generous to guests, to love strangers, uh, to encounter taking care uh, of their needs. Okay, you can even go to uh, and and obviously it's a cult, but Muslims, but. But they, there are standards in these countries of how you show hospitality, whether it's a stranger or, or, or not, you know, and that's the lost. So he's talking to Christians here. One, love the family and then love others. <clears throat> show hospitality, take care of needs. Notice this, without grumbling, murmuring in the right spirit. That's none of you. I'm never, Ugh, I'm going to give. I'm going to take my time. You know what? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. Now, those of us that are trying to follow God, he calls us to be a part. We've talked about the missions offering, the regular offering you do, or even of your time. This goes, and it's very biblical, because the Corinthians said they, they did this weekly to go to the needs. I mean, we have a lot of things. The, the ability that I'm able to be here. I mean, and, and it doesn't mean that you pay someone all the time, and I don't do it for that. Our mission, the different ministries we do. I mean, these fans aren't running themselves and paying for themselves. These are the basics that we talk about. But guess what? God doesn't need your money if you're going to be like that. That's between you and God. He's talking about the lost. I don't want to get with them because, ugh. Or I'm okay to do it this far, but now they want more. Without grumbling. Right spirit. This is a priority. Hebrews 13 2 says this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I don't know if I, Obviously I'm not aware if I've entertained an angel. Because he says I wouldn't. But then you go back to what Jesus told them. You know. Lord when, when did we take care of you? When I was needy. When I was poor. When I was in prison. Or being the hands and feet of Christ. Or when did I didn't? When you saw me and you didn't take care of these needs. And I want to be really clear, Christians. If we're putting band-aids on people while we're patting their back on the way to hell, I say we do nothing. If we don't give a reason, we just studied 1 Peter 3.15. If we don't give a reason for the hope that we have, which a lot of American churches are doing now. Oh, I'm just helping you and you love me, but I'm not giving the reason I do this because Christ loves me and we love you. And let me tell you about the hope I have beyond the food I just gave you. See what I mean? We've got to give a reason for this hope, the reason we're hospitable, the reason we're taking care of their physical needs. 
My, my requirement, look at 1 Timothy 3.2. This is talking about a pastor. You say, well, pastor, you're supposed to do that. Well, I'll get to your requirement in a minute. But my requirement in 1 Timothy 3.2 says this, therefore an overseer, a pastor, um, an elder, whatever that term, it's interchangeable. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, we just talked about that, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. You might be iffy on that last one, Pastor, but I don't know. It's a joke. All right, you guys got to wake up. But notice, why is the pastor supposed to be like that? Because you're not going to see anything perfect here, but I need to set an example that you can see. I've talked about pastors that I've served under that they wouldn't let anybody in their houses. Yeah, you can come back to my house. We'll be doing that again. But it's not just about being in the house. It's about being a part of each other's lives. It's doing life together. I'm supposed to set the example. We could stop there and say, yeah, Pastor, you better do that. Oh, but what about Titus 1.8? Got you on this one. Be hospitable. <clears throat> a lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. He is not talking to just pastors. He's talking to every believer. Titus 1.8. Be hospitable. A lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. That is the summary verse of the section that we're covering today. This means because we all struggle with sin, the only thing that will keep the family unified is love. Love that forgives and the love that reaches out in kindness to strangers. Your next feeling, if we're going to glorify Christ with our life, we need to be freely hospitable. Reaching out in kindness of Christ to strangers. And that means we don't enable. There's a lot of ways we enable people. And uh, the True Charity Initiative. Look it up. James Whitford. I love him. He does those radio spots. But I've known him when we were over at Joplin. He does water gardens. I'll go over to water gardens anytime with you if you want to see. Out of all the 30 years, and I love our mission, and there's nothing wrong with what we're doing here, but out of all the 30 years of seeing getting beyond people coming to a trough to get their food and their clothing, but yet never get out of the poverty or to do those things, we need to understand if we're enabling people or if we're helping people. I believe we're helping people here. I'm not saying that. But that's what this is talking about. We have to discern with the money that we give, how can we help their physical needs and expose them to Jesus? I feel out our mission, I try, and the ladies, they're, they're very loving and kind, but we try to get to conversations about Jesus. We try to get to inviting them to church and all those things. But we need to be freely hospitable. We need to show kindness to strangers. Glorify Christ with our lives means serving. It means using our gifts, spiritual services. Look at verse 10. And each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and everybody has a gift or gifts that God has given to use for the gospel. And I feel like barely a one-trick pony on my gifts. Some of you just made me sick because you got those. I'm not jealous of you, but guess what? It doesn't matter if you have many or one. As each has received, God knows you. God knows how you're wired. And we have a variety of people that all of us can reach in different areas. 
That mean, that word gift means his favor, his grace, undeserved. It's not a natural talent, which God gives us those two. But the, we're talking about when you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, and he gives you specific gifts to use for the gospel. He's going to mention two here. Everybody here has gifts. Matthew 25, 15 says this, the one he gave five pounds to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. And that's the parable that Christ shared and the one that had one talent, he just buried it. And that's where some of us are. And even though interest is in the tank, I don't even know, I don't even know if it registers on any mathematical equation right now. <laughs> but, you know, if you did put money somewhere, just use that as an example, it would have gained something even if you did nothing. And that's where a lot of us are. God has given you a talent to reach an area where, where we can, I can't reach, and we're burying it. Christ clearly said, use what you got. And notice what he said, according to your ability. Isn't that awesome that he tailors the gifts that he gives us on how he's made us? Custom. Romans 12, 6 and 8 says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now that's Romans. I encourage you to go back and look at that this week, but that's Romans 12, 6 through 8, and that goes specifically more into gifts. And this is why Wednesday nights are good, because we go into this deeper but Peter here in the section we're studying is going to give us two gifts to give us an example that God gives us gifts according to his very grace. To serve, to minister one another. We, uh, we use our God-given gifts to serve one another. Uh, and he goes on to say, as good stewards. And then he talks about buried, which means colors. That means uniqueness. Isn't that awesome? If you come from a big family and you have an unusual name, okay, and yes, I know we gave our kids all unusual names. And then you go to the uh, amusement park and you look at the keychains. There's never going to be your name on there. And if there is a name for Russell, which there never is, it's Russ. And we aren't going to get into that. You start calling me Russ. <laughs> Only a few people call me Russ because I'm not trying to correct them. But we, now you're going to bother me. I, I played my hand on that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And if you call me Rusty, I'm going to take these size, size 11 shoes and find your backside, okay? All right, but that's in the flesh. I need the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, every day. But, okay, it's interesting when you find something that is unique to you. That's what he's done with your gifts. He knows you. He knows where he can place you. It's not a square peg in a round hole. It's like you fit right there. I need you for the gospel right there. I need you for the gospel here. We've got to be good stewards of these very gifts, these unique gifts that God has given us. He goes on to give us two examples of God-given gifts. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's look at the first part. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. All right. So he's only talking about two gifts here. I've shared Romans where he talks about more gifts. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
first of all, what I'm doing today here through the Holy Spirit is speaking the oracles of God, the things of God, the word of God. And spoiler alert, it's not about me. I hope you see I'm pretty well tied to Scripture. Because I was taught, if don't say it if you can't back it up with Scripture. And I, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but anytime you hear anybody speak and they lightly mention the Scripture and there's nothing else connected, get out of there. Because that is not an oracle of God. I'm not saying you have to have huge passages of Scripture. Somebody could share one verse and tie it all to that Scripture, that's good. But what I feel we're seeing in the American church today is we're, I don't even, I bet you we could Google and there would be sermons with no scripture mentioned. And you know how much easier a sermon that would be for me? Because I'm pretty creative in that end. I could just make stuff up. I need to hold to God's word. It needs to start there. And so that's one of the gifts that it talks about is rightly sharing the word of God. And then a lot of you are in this gift in different ways. Whoever serves, oh my goodness, I'm not kissing up to our church, but out of all the churches I've been in, I, my goodness, anytime there's something to do, I have not really heard anybody say no. You all just pitch in and you go for it. And that's the gift that most of you have is to serve. Now, maybe in a certain way. It may be served and clean the church. It may be served and dealing with the physical things of the church or, or through hospitality. There's a huge thing of gifts or teaching and all those things that are mentioned. But you're in one of these two categories. And those of you that are in both, well, great. You know? That second one was where a lot of Christians fall, uh, fall into that category. Ministers. Served by the strength and ability and a might that God supplies. If I try to do this here, Paul said I didn't come to you with fancy speech. You're not getting it here. I'm leaning to Jesus. Most Sundays, I think of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And his grace is sufficient for me, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast in my weakness so the power of Christ might dwell in me. And let me translate that for you. God, why me? It's going to have to be you. And that's where the dynamic is. And that's why I like the fact when people that are lost sometimes are like, really, you're a pastor? Because you don't come off that way. And not because I did something bad. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing of Russell. Given by the grace and the power of God according to our faith in God. Romans 12, 3 um, says this. For by grace given to me, I said to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God is assigning. I want to help you with this. The gifts, don't you think if God's giving you a gift, he's going to give you the faith and he's going to give you the power and the Holy Spirit to use that gift? Yes. We just try to think in our own flesh. Really? And a lot of times when you have a gift, somebody else is going to notice it in you first. I love chaplaincy. I love that I do it, but I didn't notice it in myself. Somebody else noticed it. I took a step of faith to try it, and it's like hand in glove. I love it. Pastoring. Mitch, the pastor here. I was the youth minister 30-some years ago, and he said, Russell, you had a pastor's heart, and here's what I did. Yeah, right, Mitch. 
I'm leaving. I wasn't leaving because he said that. We went on to seminary. But he spoke that over me 30 years ago. And I'm like, really? Because you guys look boring and you're old. What's happening here? Okay. <laughs> you know? but, but as God grew that in me, I understood it. And I saw it. When somebody's trying to tell you, they're not trying to tell you what to do. But part of that accountability, they may see that gift in you before you see it. Your last fill-in here. Part of glorifying Christ with our lives means we are eager to use your God-given gifts. This is We do all this with a purpose. The last part of verse 11 says this. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why? Why do you live right? Why do you love the family of God? Why do you love strangers? Why do you use your gifts? So they look at this imperfect person and scratch their head and say, why is that working? So they look at a small country church and scratch their head and say, why would I go there? But when I go there, man, people are loving God. And they're loving me. You want them to ask the reason why and you give them the answer because of Jesus Christ is guiding my life and the time I have left I'm going to use it for him we're in Memorial Day weekend and a lot of times we honor those that have died so that we can have the freedom and that is good but those that are of us that are left we need to ask the question spiritually am I going to be a monument or a living memorial and we've been reading 1 Peter and we've been doing 1 Peter for half a year almost and first Peter talked about living stones we need to be a living memorial that our lives are dedicated to God and so as we get ready to have a time of invitation I've got a couple questions for you where are you looking what are you watching for are you praying or just watching in anticipation we need to do both um, how are you loving? I will love you till you bother me. Well, you know what? That ends pretty quick with me. Are you loving hard? Are you straining and you're saying, God, in my flesh, I can't love them, but you love me and I want to love them. Help. How are, how are you? Um, how hospitable are you? And God, are you loving strangers? Yes, we need to be aware. There's a lot of ways to love people and be safe, especially when you're going with God. And then lastly, and I think most of you are doing this, and I really saw an affirmation when we voted our ministry teams Wednesday night. And how are you eagerly using your gifts? And some of you may not know your gifts, and we're going to help you with that. But you need to pray. I, I guarantee you, if you pray, God, show me my gifts, it's going to happen. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. And so, lastly, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You say, what do I do with the end times here? Glorify Christ with your life. As you stand on your feet, we have a time of invitation. Ask the question. Glorifying Christ is pointing to Christ. And so ask yourself the question, God, if I was assigned... How well are my directions pointing to Christ?
We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about, is my life an arrow pointing to God? Lord, I ask if we need to hit this altar and pray for confession, if we don't know you as Savior, that we receive that free gift today and begin that life towards you. Whatever we need to do, may we be obedient and glorify you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.